Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Matt D. Fothery, Lee Boyd, and Rob Beller. Hey, podcast world. Welcome to another remarkable, unbelievable scientific Ooh. episode of do you like that i like that scientific because it is kind of a scientific episode that we're doing today wouldn't you say it is it is it's a very scientific episode we have on a guest who's who has like a bunch of phds working for him yeah yeah he's a really really smart guy who does some pretty amazing things uh, that I've heard the words, but I have a hard time understanding exactly what it means. But well, we'll see if we can't. We'll see if we can't get a little more illuminated today. We have Ryan Cotton Steady from uh, Cape Analytics. He is the co-founder and CEO of the company, and I mean, this guy is brilliant by himself. Yeah. But what he went and did was hired a bunch of people who were even brillianter. Right. You like my use of English language? Yeah. There? Made uh-huh. us all sound real smart. Thanks, Rob. Uh-huh. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. I think today, you know, I know today we're going to get to talk with him about Cape Analytics. We're going to get to talk about his past and, and where Cape Analytics came from and what it is and what their mission is. And, and how they're really... going to talk about all that fun stuff. And how they're really shaking up um, a space inside of... of the insurance vertical, they work in a few mm-hmm. verticals, but inside of the insurance vertical, that was kind of waiting to happen. Yeah. And with aerial imagery and deep learning, they are doing for risk, uh, maybe what no other technology company has, uh, is, is doing currently. So rather than listening to us, Chipper who are, uh, see at one end of the continuum, there's all these brilliant people doing all this stuff. And at the other mm-hmm. end of that continuum is us, is us. We do the podcast for those people. That's right. We ask the questions. They have the answers. There you go. And so uh, without further ado, we'll get to Ryan's answers and we'll talk to, uh, we'll let you listen to our interview with Ryan Cottonsteady, CEO and co-founder of Cape Analytics. Hey everybody, we're here with our guest, the CEO and co-founder of Cape Analytics, Ryan Cottonsteady, where where do we find you today? I'm in Silicon Valley down in Los Altos. Welcome. Sheltered in place, I'm sure. Yeah, that's right. We're, uh, we've been dutifully sheltering in place for, I guess, a couple of months now. Right. Feels like it's been a while, doesn't it? It has been a while. Yeah, yeah. quite a while. Let's just jump right in and start by talking about Cape Analytics. Give us a minute or two on what Cape Analytics is and what you guys do. Yeah, thank you. So in short, we provide instant access to critical property information that help financial stakeholders in property assess the risk. And so we started first and foremost with insurance companies, residential property insurance companies, and mostly kind of on the front end of their workflow. So risk analysis. So this means reinsurance, quoting, rating, underwriting, 
and recently we've expanded that to cover commercial property. And we've also moved to touch some adjacent financial stakeholders beyond insurance, but but also focused on, on real estate. So what's really unique about us is the information we provide them is all proprietary to CAPE. It's all highly relevant to assessing risk. And we we create that information by sourcing input data from partners, primarily image providers, but also other information providers as well. And we built our own deep learning algorithms to turn that raw information into targeted uh, risk assessment information for, for our customers' workflows. So you primarily are providing a service to the underwriting side? Yeah, I would say rating, underwriting, reinsurance, we're starting to think about marketing workflows a bit. That's a bit newer for us, but that's right. So does Cape Analytics give back a package? Give me a little more information. You're using imagery and then using deep learning to give ideas about risk or about possible structure damage, something like that. Is that is that what you're doing? Yeah. Let me give you a boiled down anecdote. Um, Great. And grown Please. significantly from there. But let's just say, for example, that the condition of somebody's roof is a significant factor in their expected losses. We've proven that to be true structurally with our own information, and and it's broadly regarded as the case. Roof condition is important for a whole bunch of wind risk factors, as well as hail and other weather events. We source imagery from our partners, cover the entire continental United States, you know, three, four times a year, and our deep learning algorithms suck in all that imagery and then look at at the image and make an assessment about, in this example, the roof condition, and that becomes part of a living database. And we make that information available to our customers instantly via via API. Wow. So so you're a co-founder of, of this company. What started this whole journey? We started CAPE about five years ago. Before CAPE, I was an investor at one of the bigger venture capital firms in Silicon Valley called Coastal Ventures. Mm-hmm. And while I was there, I had two big areas where I had spent a lot of time. The first was in computer vision and analytics. So, you know, using deep learning to extract information from imagery to power different industry verticals. And turns out we made some very successful early stage investments and incubated some good companies kind of broadly applying that technology, one in agriculture and then one in packaging, shipping logistics. So, you know, around, let's just say, for example, you order something from Amazon, that order gets fulfilled in a warehouse. And so we've we leveraged computer vision in both of those applications to great effect and built some really big businesses. Um, that's sort of one skew. The other skew was a bunch of remote sensing companies. So drone companies, satellite companies that we looked at. And um, mm-hmm. so the inspiration or the insight that led to Cape Analytics, you know, after I had stepped out of, out of KV was this notion that deep learning has come a long way in our ability to extract structured information from imagery. And geospatial imagery is becoming more and more available from different modes, whether it be aircraft, satellites, or drones. And so CAPE is really the intersection of those two trends, but with a deep focus on financial stakeholders and property. You know, I I want to talk more about CAPE, but I have to ask you a question here. You're at a a great VC firm. You you have a great job there. (laughs) How do you leave that? 
right? I mean, did you have the, you had an itch, you had a bug? Why make that jump? Why not just stay put? You're having success and probably doing well. A friend of mine, when I joined that firm, who, who had been at that firm prior to me, you know, I, I asked him as I was contemplating. So the backstory is I've sort of always, you know, bounced back and forth between a operating company role and an investing role in, in early stage technology. Prior to Coastal Ventures, I had been on the early founding management team of a, a tech company we spun out of Stanford. You know, so I asked this, this friend of mine while I was thinking about joining this firm, you know, what he thought the trade-offs of the role were. And, and, and he said he really loves the breadth and intellectual diversity of, of the investing role, but he missed the ability to kind of directly have an impact hands-on and really go deep the same way you get to if you're uh, building something yourself. So to me, this just scratches a different itch, which is, you know, I get to be obsessive compulsive about this one thing and pour all of my my mental energy into this opportunity. So that that was sort of the big extrinsic motivator. I would say the the intrinsic motivator was, you know, I was just really excited about building, you know, a team and a company and a culture from scratch that I could be proud of. And so we've I'm I'm very proud of the team we've built and and the culture we've built and the way we've built a, a philosophy of partnership with our with our customers. And and that's been just intrinsically extremely rewarding as well. Is this the first company uh, you founded or, or, or been a co-founder with? As I said, I was on like the founding management team of a, of a company we spun out of Stanford before KV. And then I, I was privileged to incubate from scratch a few companies during my, my investing days. But this is the, the first time I've really, you know, I, I would say I had a very good front row seat a few times. And so this yeah. is really the first time I've put a stake in the ground. So we've seen... Cape around for several years. Actually, in the world of InsureTech, I think that you were founded even before we were calling it InsureTech. Is that right? It is. It's really funny. As, as sort of a half joke, one of our guys made a slide of the mentions of InsureTech. And, and I think we predate kind of that being a popular term by maybe nine months or something. <laughs> okay. So you just beat it. Do you consider yourself an InsureTech company? I consider us a software and technology company that has a deep vertical focus on insurance. So, so uh, yeah, I think that's a nice, you know, concatenation. Uh, I know that you've been invested. Some of your investors are, you know, certainly insurance focused, right? Yeah, no question. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the big pieces of news that came out in, I don't know exactly when, but not too distant past is the investment by State Farm. Um, what, what, what attracted them? I mean, obviously that's an, an enormous validation, I would think for your product. You know, they're a very good partner of ours. I think from, from day one, we have, we've adopted a philosophy and an approach to working with our customers as, as partners. And that's been true through and through. And as we've gotten, you know, bigger, you know, we, we had to build a full national product and be able to support kind of enterprise grade at the, the highest levels before we kind of earned the right to, to have conversations with, with some of those top five carriers, you know, but, but we've got that under our belt. Now we've got, we've got over 40 customers, large enterprise customers fully deployed. That number keeps increasing, you know, significantly quarter over quarter, year over year. As we got to know the state farm people, you know, there's some very, very bright folks in that organization. And, you know, they have just a very authentic commitment to their mission, which is 
which is really about providing, you know, risk protection and security for a bunch of people. And and so I think just we, we have a just an alignment of work styles that we really like. And and obviously, you know, they have a huge impact and and by virtue of us partnering with them, we have an opportunity to deliver a huge impact as well. So as a CEO at Cape, tell us for a minute about what do you do? What's your job? I had a really good professor uh, in business school who had founded a very successful software company. And, and he said, the answer to that question is clear. You know, your job is to do the most important thing. Unfortunately, that doesn't make it any more clear because, <laughs> right. uh, because that changes all the time. So, you know, life is like a river. <laughs> right, right, right. So I, I zoom out and um, broadly speaking, you know, the way I think about it is set the overall strategy and targets then identify and get the right resources. And those resources mean capital as well as really good people. Set the strategy, get the resources, you know, establish and lead the culture, and then, you know, get out of the way and make sure everybody has what they need. And so, you know, externally, we, we have, you know, I've talked a bit about this kind of partner culture with customers. I think internally, we seek to give a lot of context, hire really good people, hold people accountable and then empower them, you know, and really devolve uh, responsibility and, and, and empower folks. And so, you know, that's, those to me are kind of the, the, let's say fundamental levers, but what that means on the day to day can be very, very tactical firefighting, mm-hmm. you know, on IT issues, legal issues, customer issues, HR issues. It also means, you know, not getting in there tactically when the right people you've hired to do things have have things well in hand, right? Yeah, I think that's wonderful. How many people work at Cape Analytics? Yeah, we've got a bit over 50. Oh, wow. Yeah, and that, that number continues to grow. We, we've had the interesting experience of onboarding, I think, three or four um, great new hires, you know, in the COVID era. So after our company went full remote, uh, these people joined and, and and came on board, and so that's a that's a special um, experience for them and for us. Are there any data scientists on the team? I would imagine there are. Oh yeah, there's a bunch. So I would say we are we've got probably ten or fifteen PhDs in in the company. Wow. That are a combination of machine learning, computer vision, and data science. So so from one of those skews and a lot of math PhDs and astrophysics PhDs, or frankly, some of the the folks that have done kind of the computational sciences side of biology seem to be a very, very effective kind of pathway to, to, to some of the data science stuff that we do. That must be interesting working with brilliant people. Yeah. It's great. I mean, it's, it's incredibly rewarding. And what's, what's the most thrilling is, um, you know, getting on a big high stakes kind of customer success discussion where we're, you know, in with the executive level. And, and, you know, we just, just this week I was talking to a, a, you know, a major carrier and we had probably 10 folks from their side and 10 folks from our side. And I got to join for a bit and um, they're, they've been a customer for several years now. And I think once, once you've done the kind of, we're delivering the product, it's working. We speak your language. We understand your problem. Mm-hmm. then you can get really deep into the technical. Like if you can put the deeply technical stuff very clearly framed in the context of what the customer needs, you know, that's, that's kind of when magic happens. We're in the insurance vertical. You're in the insurance vertical. We're mostly talking about the insurance vertical, but 
it must have been an interesting education for you to jump into it and to learn the nuances of insurance, which are, as you have learned and know, are quite different than than other verticals. How's that been? Because in, in our vertical, and I assume in all, but I think particularly in insurance, earning trust is a huge part of the equation. I think that the insurance vertical is very relationship driven and relationships, you know, work well based on, on trust. So talk for a minute about what, what that journey has been like for you and the kinds of things you've learned and had to deal with. It's extraordinarily unique. I think I was told that, but it's different to be told that or to hear that and think you get it than to experience it. And I would Mm. say it's very different, but you know, as I've started to understand and appreciate this, I I really have come to, you know, appreciate the reasons for that. So, you know, you mentioned sort of being very relationship driven. And I think there's a, there's a version of that, which conjures kind of an image of three martini lunches and the kind of bad men era. And that there's, you know, there's some historical veneer of that, but, you know, when I think about relationship driven, I really think about the fact that this is, you know, to me, insurance is a financial service that one of our team members said, Hey, I get it. And this is a Stanford software engineer that doesn't come from insurance and said, I get it. Insurance is the immune system of society. And I thought that was really well put, you know, so to me, the relationship nature of it is, this is a a large industry that has a capacity to create a lot of good. And there's a bunch of people in it that are, you know, mission driven and proud of what they do every day. Yes. And so coming to it with the context of that, I think, I think tells you a lot. And the other thing that's really important, you know, it's, it's maddening candidly at times, how slowly the deal cycle can move. But, you know, when you put on the, the hat of there's a lot at stake and a lot of harm, real harm can occur uh, if you get it wrong, uh, yeah. you know, that, it, it makes sense, right? That it's, it's highly rational, right? The web apps are developed much more quickly than aircraft, right? Because the downside risk of making a mistake is just, just <laughs> very different, right? Right. And sure. so there's, there's an element of that here as well that, that it's important to just be sensitive to. So let's talk about deep learning and what makes your product unique. We hear that phrase a lot, artificial intelligence, deep learning, machine learning. Can you give us a minute on what you mean by deep learning and help a lot of people in our audience who aren't from the technical side to understand not only how it's defined, but how it's applied? Mm -hmm. Sure. You know, it's uh, it's funny. I'll let me answer that in one second. But you, earlier in the podcast, you asked about Cape Analytics predates the popular usage of the term insure tech. We also predate the popular, what I call AI washing of tech companies. So the trendy thing used to be social, mobile, local. And then, and then some time ago, it, you know, AI for everything became the trend. And so we predate that a bit. And frankly, we we really just put our heads down and said, let's, this seems like a really important groundbreaking piece of new technology that can have a big benefit. Let's go do that thing that makes obvious sense. And now everything's AI something. And a lot of those are really, I would say the AI is is really the marketing aspect of it. It's not the, the engineering and data science aspect of it. You can still accomplish a lot of stuff with prescriptive linear rule sets that, that, that are different. So we kind of 
to our core, I think have some of the brightest minds and have stayed bleeding edge on, on this new field of technology and brought that at rapid pace into, into our products and customers. So, so to answer your question, what is it? You talk about deep learning. Uh, I need to explain the concept of a neural network. So back in the 60s, there was a lot of activity around this, this idea of a neural network, which is a computing concept to basically, you know, roughly approximate or replicate the notion of a brain neuron, which you know, in very simplistic terms, you give it an input and then it performs some basic calculation on that input or applies some weight and then it creates an output. And it turns out that if you take that basic building block and you you build an array of them and you connect them side by side and then you connect them, you know, in series one on top of the other, then you can put increasingly complicated things into the front of that network and get an increasingly interesting transform out, out the back, right? And so uh, that's in a rough approximation, you know, the way our, our brains are structured. Mm-hmm. Um, and so right. this was the concept. And in the 60s and 70s, it was it was a kind of a, a really not much talked about academic pursuit. Um, and the, the, what we've since learned is that the reason it never really went as far as we had hypothesized is we had several orders of magnitude too little computing power to to actually get the benefit that that, that was required. And so with the move to cloud compute, with the move to massive parallel compute architecture and GPUs and some of these other very fast chips that are optimized for parallel processing, we've been able to harness that architecture and make it do some really dramatic things. And those breakthroughs started to be realized right around the 2012 timeframe. And that's where, you know, we built when I was at Coastal Ventures, a few really successful companies kind of levering that. And, and so CAPE is chasing that. So that's a neural network. And the, the deep and deep learning comes from the notion of a deep neural network. And that's really in reference to more layers of, of series connected neural network layers. If it replicates what a what humans could do, is it just a a time saver? Is this something that people could do if you gave them enough time and enough information and I guess enough people to to put it all together? Yes, but you have to be very careful with that question and that answer because where where we've seen the biggest benefit, it's a time saver, but it's it's a time saver on so many orders of magnitude that it doesn't function like a time saver. You know, it's very rarely is it the case that you take 10 people and you get this computer and it does the same thing those 10 people were doing just a little bit better. It's more like, hey, I got 10 people and because I can only afford 10 people, I'm doing this thing this way. But what if I could afford a billion people or a trillion people? Like if I could afford that, I would probably do different things and solve the whole problem in a completely different way, right? And so by analog, from a neural net capacity standpoint, you know, in our little piece of the world, analyzing the image is no longer the bottleneck. Taking the picture is. Analyzing all the images is not the bottleneck. So the thought experiment would be, what if I had a if I had infinite humans and everyone took every picture I wanted about everything I wanted to look at every day, and then I analyzed all of those and put all that into a database, I have a very high fidelity, continuous version of what does the world look like at every place and how is that changing? And now I can intersect that with 
things like hurricanes or, or mm-hmm. wildfires right. or insured losses or, you know, the mortgage meltdown. And I can understand, okay, what are the changes I'm observing and how do those actually correlate to, to all these other bits, right? And so it, what, what it does is, broadly speaking, you know, AI has caused the need not for fewer people, but the need for more people doing more high level different things to take advantage of that. And we can basically dramatically expand and relegate the computers to, to doing those tasks that we can specify and, and, and do a massive scale. Right. Cause you need somebody to, to drive the ship that's filled with you know, all these people, if you will, or, or whatever. I mean, right. you, you said you mentioned taking the picture and I know that aerial imagery is the, you know, key part of what you guys are um, analyzing. That's right. Um, that's out of your control. Is that a frustration point for you guys? The imagery, I mean, I know that there's there are many options for imagery today. Is is that something that's not exactly in your control so that you're having to deal with? It actually, that fact was a core premise of how and why we started CAPE. You know, I mentioned before CAPE, I was investing and we looked at basically every satellite and and drone company that was raising money, you know, and and our conclusion from this was there's just going to be a lot of these things out there. And the problem has now moved from, can I get a picture to, you know, can I make sense of all these pictures I've got? In fact, the problem is even more complex than that because it's now it's no longer just pictures. It's I've got pictures, I've got sound bites, I've got customer calls, ordered customer calls, I've got a bunch of other kind of structural information that that may or may not be relevant. Okay, so how do I kind of synthesize that and make sense of it against a very kind of important targeted workflow, whether it be, let's say in the mortgage space, it could be what price should I charge this policy? Does this, what is the risk that this asset that this risk kind of meets my underwriting criteria, how do I make that decision instantaneously? You know, in the, in the real estate space, I've got all these esoteric factors. How do those relate to, let's say, even something, you know, as exotic as mortgage default risk, right? Mm-hmm. Now, now there become, you know, some, some interesting higher level questions you can answer in really compelling ways by permuting this information, these inputs and, you know, transforming them in some way. Uh, and then focusing them on the the question at hand. We can't have a conversation about your company without bringing up COVID and how it's impacted you guys and affected you. I would think that, you know, and and one of the things that we're learning the further we get into the COVID period is, is that there's companies that are, that it's very beneficial to and companies that it's catastrophic for. But it would seem that for a company like Cape that it would, it would be, um, um, motivating for people to give CAPE a try or to use it even more than they were before. Is that the case? It's a much more nuanced answer to that. You know, there's the, the obvious things are, you know, Netflix and Amazon benefited and Hilton Hotels and United Airlines, you know, law. Two ends of the continuum. Yeah, yeah. But then there's all these second order effects where it turns out Amazon's revenue went up, but their supply chain logistics was totally thrown into, into, into chaos. And so, you know, they've handled that extraordinarily well, but um, you know, there's these, there's a bunch of these complicated effects. So when when I think about Cape, there's really, you know, how are my customers impacted and the market I'm serving? 
And then how is my team impacted and my, my capacity to do business, you know, just to operate our, our, our own business. And then another one is, is very relevant for most companies, which is, you know, how are capital markets impacted? If you're a public company, what's, what's this doing to your stock price? If you're a private company like us, what is this doing to kind of your, your financial investors and current and future, right? And so, so on all those axes, let's start with the customer space. So when you talk about insurance, broadly speaking, it's been a disparate set of impacts. So a lot of the most challenging stuff in the insurance space has come on the, well, first of all, let's separate the balance sheet investing side of an insurance business is, is largely siloed. And so they, they just have to deal with, with their, their capital and this, this, so that's broadly does not impact the day-to-day operation of the insurance business mm-hmm. unless their, their capital reserves fall below kind of rating thresholds. And so on the margins, there could be some people impacted, but, but broadly speaking, that's siloed. On the operating side of an insurance carrier, you have a few different things going on. Most of the, the challenges from COVID have been on the commercial business side, business owner policies, policies, business interruption policies, and, and that whole discussion. But bigger carriers have multiple lines of business. And so while that might be the tip of the spear, you know, their internal legal offices are impacted because they've just got a lot more work. So, you know, if you're trying to get a contract signed, that can have a delay associated, you know, but, but on the personal line side, automotive, you know, carriers have been a lot more profitable on the auto side. You've seen them giving premium back on the homeowner side, things have been broadly steady. I've, I've had some carriers tell me quote volume dipped for three weeks, but now it's kind of come back to normal. Some carriers told me quote volume increased, you know, and there's a lot of question about long-term how, how homes are going to get used and, and how risk will change. I would say there's a macro trend towards more digitalization, which is really, you know, good for us. And there's a macro tra- trend towards more remote risk analysis, which is really the business that we're in. So, you know, we are, you know, to, to come full circle, you know, you know, we're in the business of helping carriers figure out how to do remote risk analysis. And, you know, the best place is to start with CAPE. And then there's some downstream places you can go with that. With, if you want to do a remote full virtual inspection, there's some, you know, downstream things you can do as well. And that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because we work on the claims side and in the claims end. And, and I mean, I could see some ways that CAPE could be you utilized maybe on the claim side. Are you guys looking at that? Is that something that you're being asked to do or looking at? We've broadly stayed away from claims to date. And there's a handful of reasons for that. I, I can't promise that'll be you know the, the case forever, but um, rating and underwriting, first of all, it was the most white space for you know what, it, nobody was solving the problem that we, we set out to solve. And it was not solvable until kind of, deep learning became what it is. So we've basically created this new space and, and quickly come to lead it, you know, very, very dramatically, frankly. And so we like that. So, but the question is back to what we discussed earlier, if AI lets me do things at a massive parallel scale, then my biggest strength is where I can do more things at massive parallel scale. And so, you know, at the, at the end of the day, if a carrier is going to take a Twenty-five thousand dollar loss, which is a median homeowner's loss. It's worth a couple thousand dollars to you know go have a look and make sure they're not that they're paying the right amount, right? And sure, sure. And 
so the relative impact of of AI on that approach, you know, is is a bit more nuanced. Whereas if a carrier comes to me, I can answer a totally different question that nobody else could answer before. Maybe a carrier will come to me and say, hey, I want to write half a million new policies next year somewhere in the country. Where mm-hmm. should I write them? What are the okay. best? Give me a list of a half a million Great of the question. best. I right. should go attack. Sure. Like that we're, we do like right now we do that. And, and mm-hmm. that's a very unique thing. That I'm sure it would interest a lot of people, right? Here, here's the riskier and here's the less riskier. I mean, right. at the, at the, at the end of the day, if you're a, if you're an executive, if you're running a big carrier, I, I want to, change uh, directions for a minute because in in the few minutes that we have left and talk about Stanford. And the reason that I want to bring that up is um, my colleague here, Lee, has been looking at grad school and and thinks about getting his MBA and you got an MBA at Stanford and Stanford has a fabulous reputation. And I was just wondering if you could share for a few minutes what it was like to get a Stanford MBA and what's looking back now, what was the value of that? Yeah. I can't promise that you'll reproduce these specific results, and that'll make sense in a second. But look, I, I was phenomenal. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Stanford broadly and of the business school, you know, more specifically. For me, it was a great opportunity, very formative. The biggest kind of high-level comment would be, before business school, I was an engineer, and that's a great thing. But I, I was really an engineer's engineer, meaning I had thought a lot about, you know, how to solve problems and how to frame problems. But I had never even read an annual report of a company, which is shocking in hindsight. So that MBA program is, it's one of the top ones. It, it's also at one of the top cross-functional universities. And so I got very broad exposure to how to think end-to-end, not only about technical problems, but how to put that in the context of a business and, and HR problems and marketing problems and how do you sell a product. And so I think the cross-functional academic experience was very valuable for me. I think the group of peers and friends that I made was very valuable for me. And some of them still some of my very best friends. And and I actually also met my wife uh, at Stanford Business School. So bonus. That one I can't guarantee you can just replicate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he doesn't need to find that. No, I've got that part taken care of. Yeah, that's something I've always been interested in though, is attaining the knowledge and the and the networks, you know, Rob has talked about his experience before, just the networking with the uh, intelligent, like-minded people. That that seems very interesting to me. Yeah, it's a very, very broadly, very good group of people. So um, I want to finish out by asking you kind of a general question. You're probably familiar, you probably know who Caribou Honig is. He's a friend of ours who runs the InsureTech Connect convention or is the chairman of it, of which I'm sure you attend or your company does. He recently was asked a question about disruption in insurance. And his comment was, he thinks that it's more evolution than disruption. I thought that was an interesting take. And from where we sit, we kind of see it that way. How do you feel as somebody who, with a product that could be considered disruptive of sorts, how do you think about that? I think it depends on kind of at what tier you're thinking and speaking. Um, you know, I didn't set out to start an insure tech company and said, well, what's a good insure tech company to start? You know, I set out to solve a big problem that had fundamental value and, you know, a clear ROI. And that's what we're doing. And we're doing a great job of it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I would say that while the thing we do is revolutionary, you know, we're, we're in the picks and shovels business and the carrier 
gets a big benefit out of this, but that's really evolutionary for them, right? And, and so when I think about insure tech and disruption and Caribou's comments, you know, I would imagine, you know, he's thinking first or the, the, the typical audience for that comment would be thinking about all these new MGAs who are going head to head, you know, acquiring consumers face to face with legacy carriers. Right. And, and I think that's, uh, uh, you know, there's some great work going on. You know, I'm friends with some of the folks that are building those businesses and they're very impressive people, no question. You know, but I come back to, I'm, I'm happy. That doesn't fit my style personally. And I'm happy I'm not in that business um, mm -hmm. for a couple of reasons. One of which being, you know, just personal style. But the, but the other is, you know, with Cape, we're building, you know, uh, a valuable, um, sticky, reliable SaaS business, which has all of the the things that that are associated with it. Um, um, you know, and and we get to build these long term kind of relationships with our with our partners, and and that's a real joy. Um, the MGAs kind of are what they've told their investors is they're going to just you know grow like a weed in in this industry and steal market share, and the the risk associated with that is when you grow from scratch very very quickly, you can put a lot of bad risk on your books, and if you end up doing that, you know it can it can be a challenge to to, to manage down the pike, and so you just got to be careful when you build that business, and so I think a lot of bigger carriers that I've talked to executives at big carriers kind of look at the new MGAs and they say, yeah, this is great. They're doing some interesting things, certainly mm -hmm. around, you know, UI customer acquisition, but a cautious approach there makes sense. If you want to be in business for 10, 20, 50 years, um, you got to think about that. And so, um, that's, that's how I think about that comment. And I'm, 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 you know, I think we have a revolutionary product that is powering a very necessary evolution to help carriers get get better, and I think we're having a really big impact doing it, and, and I'm I'm proud of that. Sure, and it's a, it's agnostic to the to who's using it. Uh, you yeah. could have, I mean, they could be a 140 year old insurer, and I'm sure you have some of those, or they yeah. could be eight months old. Both of those are, are are customers of ours, and and they're both very valuable, and we we like them both, and and so I, I would say. This new trend of, of MGAs, there's some very impressive people behind these things. They definitely yeah. have a role to play. If I'm a top 10 US insurance carrier, am I worried that all of a sudden my market share is going to go to zero because insure techs are going to take over? Mm, not really. You know, I, I right. think they will have a skew, but, but you know, these big carriers, this is an industry where they've picked up this sort of slow and do caution approach for a reason, right? Correct. It's not by accident and not just history. That's right. Um, with, with every decade that passes, it, it continues to be a relevant and useful model. That's right. Well, listen, we have really enjoyed having you and really appreciate you making time for us. I'll ask you one last thing. We were talking about Bill Gates before we started today. We were talking about his uh, summer reading recommendations, and and you brought up that you had the opportunity to meet him. I'm I'm very interested when we talk to CEOs about role models. You know, I think that some people are naturally more inclined to be a CEO based on their personality or their you know different picadellos. But can you talk just before we go about role models and what it was like to uh, to have the opportunity to meet Bill Gates? 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy to. I actually had the chance to spend time with him on, on a couple of different occasions. And, you know, for me, what was striking is he's somebody I just, I have a ton of respect for because I think he's very authentic and he's unquestionably having a massive positive impact on the world. So, you know, he, uh, uh, he was, you know, this was, this was a, a decade ago or more, um, that, that, you know, we got to spend some time together and, um, you know, he's been, he's very passionate about the Gates Foundation. I think they're doing a lot of really good work, you know, just objectively. You could see that. And we also talked a little bit about some of the earlier Microsoft stuff. And you could see that fierce competitive nature come out, you know, but he's very authentically and deliberately and with big impact kind of turned that into, you know, his current pursuits with the Gates Foundation. I think that's, he's fully earned and fully deserves, I think, the level of kind of deference and respect that that he receives. And I, and I wouldn't say that about all of the um, bigger business personalities that I've I've had the chance to spend some time with, but he's he's very impressive. Yeah, he always seems like a very very impressive person. I've read a lot about him and always enjoy reading about him. A uh, person I would like to meet one day. Well, Ryan, we want to thank you so much for being on today. Just a real pleasure visiting with you and learning about Cape Analytics. And yeah, we we thank you so much for being a part. Great. Well, thanks for having me, guys. It was a lot of fun. I first met Ryan Cottonsteady um, a year or two ago. He's been making waves, and or Cape Analytics has been making waves in the insurance market for some yeah. time, and um, it was great to have him on. Tip of the hat to Martha Noteras. Why is for, that? For helping to, well, Martha helped to facilitate it. Well, that's great. Martha was a Martha was a uh, early and often investor when she was at Excel Innovate in Cape Analytics. So I think that she knows it well. And how about their roster of employees? Oh yeah, I mean, very very interesting conversation. I mean, he surrounded himself with uh, all sorts of intelligent people. But as you said, they're making waves in the insurance space. He has a lot of clients, as he said, and. Uh, really is streamlining the operation and giving uh, great data to these insurance companies to make great decisions. I mean, he said, you know, it's it's a powerful tool. You know, there's a lot of weight on it that he has to give accurate, good data. And, uh, and it's, it sounds like he's doing that. Yeah, and that, that he saw this white space or empty space uh, yeah. where there was a problem that needed solving and also that he built a company that um you know is is healthy has good margins and um provides us a really 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 critical foundational uh need to the industry so that's that's a great formula i, I love the business sense in it yeah, I do too. Speaking of formula, I still have a hard time understanding exactly what it is that they all do with this deep machine learning and deep analytics, but it's just fascinating to me. Right. And and I think that um, as in our work on the claims side, we, we're seeing more and more of how th these kinds of things can make their way in and make an impact. And yeah. um and, and, and like I said to him, you know, I kind of see it as that, you know, taking a bunch of people and 
it's the same thing that you could do with a bunch of people, but it blew my mind when he said, well, imagine if you had a billion people yeah, exactly. involved. Right? Exactly. If you had the brain power of a billion people, that's that. Then, then it really starts to become remarkable. Yeah, it's a real deal. Well, we're we're really glad to Ryan for making the time to be with us. And as always, we thank all you for listening and being a part of the fun that we have. Because I will speak for Lee when I say we do have fun. We have more fun than we probably deserve doing this podcast and you're a big part of that and we thank you for being with us and for being here and until next time we'll say to you goodbye everybody <laughs>